This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars, growing the game one podcast at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show this week. This is the Know the Game podcast. I am your host, Ryan Conwell, the analyst and NCAA lacrosse editor at Lacrosse All Stars. I'm very excited to bring you our guest this week, who is Ian Fournette, the Boston Cannons president. Now, one of the reasons why I'm pretty excited to have Ian on the show is not only was this just a fantastic interview, but What he was able to do is really give you some insight into the business side of lacrosse. Now, the one big, big disclaimer I have to give you right now is this interview was recorded over the summer. Now, one of the reasons I have to emphasize that a little bit is that that means this interview was done before, months and months before, the Premier Lacrosse League the the brand new PLL that has just been announced was in the public consciousness. While there may have been some rumors, it was something that we really didn't know what was going to be happening, let alone the shape it was going to be taking. So the reason why I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer there and a massive apology for me to Ian over this little snafu was right after this interview happened, my voice recorder went and kicked the bucket. So I still had the memory card from there. So obviously I could keep the interview and be able to keep that good, but recording all the stuff around it and, um, actually getting the show put together was something that I couldn't really do for a little bit until I was able to get a replacement, but that was just followed by a series of bad luck events for getting this show out there. And the reason why I need to apologize is this show has a very different context when you're looking at it from the perspective of only the MLL existing in the landscape of men's professional lacrosse. Now, with the PLL being announced just a few weeks ago, um, what you have to then keep in mind is the conversation about professional lacrosse, men's professional lacrosse, men's field professional lacrosse cannot take place without bringing up the PLL, the MLL, and to some extent also working the conversation of the NLL into it as well. Because in the men's game, you have three professional leagues right now. The women's game has two. Um, You know, it's a pretty congested area right now but when you're looking at the mll you you gotta bring up what the dynamic is going to be like between these two outdoor leagues the mll and the pll now that being said a lot of what ian talks about is going to be relevant to the canons to the league and quite honestly some of the things he says are going to be relevant to both leagues um i think you're going to hear some echoes of things that he feels are important when you hear about things that the pll is doing and you're also seeing that come up in things the mll is doing and and things that the canons are doing because at the end of the day 
every single version of professional lacrosse is still professional lacrosse. It's the sport, it's the fan base, and they're really approaching it in different ways, which means the problems you face are going to be similar, but based on how the leagues are actually put together, the actual approach to them changes quite a bit. Okay, now I do want to cut this intro down a little bit more because I've already been talking for way too long, and this is a very long very long interview but very worthwhile it's probably the longest one we've had so far so we'll be pushing up to just about an hour but let me tell you it's a it's a great conversation to have ian has a wealth of experience um the cannons are a, a great organization they run very well i love the work that he does with the cannons foundation and you'll hear a little bit about that you'll also hear about how they approach things like trades players um, how they approach the market, how they approach their audience, all that good stuff. So stick around after the interview with Ian, and I'll and I'll give you some of my thoughts around how some of the things that he says are particularly relevant, and some of the ones that are going to make you raise your eyebrow a little bit, knowing the landscape of everything right now. Before we go, let's hear a word from our sponsor really quickly, Summit Lacrosse. And now on to our interview with Canon's president, Ian Frenette. Okay, so this week we are here with Canon's president, Ian Frenette. Um, Ian has been with the Canons for a few years now, but um, you know we'll go into a little bit about how the front office of an MLL team works and what does it actually take to get a professional lacrosse team out on the field each week. So thank you and uh, welcome, Ian. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, a little bit of my background quickly too, uh, before it might help describe kind of what we what we do at the front office. Yeah, definitely. But why, don't, why don't you give like a sixty second intro? Uh, sure. Yeah, who are you? Why are we talking to you? <laughs> sure. So, uh, president of the Cannons um, started in, in the fall of two thousand fifteen. We, uh, you know, I, I have a good relationship with our owner Rob Hale. Um, he's a, a owner of the Boston Celtics, and uh, I get to know him really well. Uh, when I was there, I spent six years there. Um, three of them as the VP of sales on the corporate partnership side of the business. Um, and prior to joining the Celtics, I, I worked for IMG based here in Boston and uh, ran the Deutsche Bank Championship for, for six years. Um, so um, pretty, you know, pretty lengthy career so far in, in Boston sports uh, for, the, for the most part. But, um, you yeah, know, is, this is an interesting sport and an interesting business uh, given – kind of our, our our state right now we're we're a pretty you know we're an embryonic type of stage here as far as professional sports go um and that's really exciting for our ownership group and uh and myself and our front office and it's uh it's been fun so far that's for sure 
Now, that actually is interesting um, when you talk about how long you were with the Celtics. Were you there during their championship run? I, I started the year after. You started the year um, after, okay. And, but I did, in my, in my first year, we went to the finals and lost, um, which was a gut-wrenching, you know, game seven in L.A. Um, yeah, I was there, and, you know, the way it went down is, you know, Ray Allen missed the layup, and things kind of crumbled, uh, which was too bad, but... Yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, and it wor- when you've worked for one of the most iconic franchises in sports, you, you, you take away a lot. Um, and sometimes when you're you know, in that position, you may take things for granted, too, because of the, the power of that brand. That's a global brand that you, know, you say Celtics, most people know who they are. Yeah, people know that Shamrock. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, it was it was a ton of fun, and I really learned a lot about running a, a professional sports team. So, um, you know, one of the reasons Rob brought me on was to, you know, how do we continue to, to evolve our sport in the MLL? Um, and his goal is to make Boston, you know, a championship team on the field and off the field. Um, and so we're, we're bringing a lot of practices into the Cannons business that we that we used at the Celtics. Um, so. so one of the things I'm actually curious about is when you were working with the Celtics, you said it was right after the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the branding and marketing difference between, like you said, a global, highly recognized brand like the Celtics yeah. coming off of a championship? So, I mean, you're at your, yeah. your peak right there. And when you're talking to potential partners, mm-hmm. it's quite a value proposition. You know, yeah. you're you're in the the seller's market. Yes, of, correct. Okay, yes, we have ad space. What are you going to do for it? Versus the cannons, where right. you're starting from the niche and you're trying to bring people into the sport. So, what is that dynamic like from, no, a, from the present? It's a great question. So, um, and I lived through at the Celtics too when you know we traded away KG and and Paul. And, you know, from, we went from somewhat of a contender in those years to, to really having a lot of guys that nobody knew. And our, our team, we had to take a couple steps back. But obviously look at where they are today. That, that was all part of the master plan. Uh, and it worked, which is hard to do. Um, but, no, um, at, at the Celtics, you know, that's, that was a serious amount of momentum. You had a championship caliber team. Um, it, you know, the sales, you know, uh, they don't come easier. The conversations come easier. So, uh, opening up the door to people, you know, on the corporate side, it, it was, you know, it was, a lot, it was pretty easy. Well, as uh, well as the numbers and things you're talking true. about change. <laughs> totally different, totally different. Um, and, and it's Boston and people like a winner. Um, and I think that the, uh, the approach even at the, at the Celtics, my entire time there was, was local but also national and global. Um, you know, flip the switch here to the cannons. Um, the value proposition is very much local. Um, it's very much uh, a lower barrier to entry to get involved. But I, the, the number one thing that I believe that, that we have is we have youth in, in our age demographic and fan base is, you know, it's very kid-centric. And, you know, these young lacrosse players and and athletes if you were to walk into a fifth graders classroom and survey you know the boys and girls in that room many of them know who paul rabel is you know know, it's it's shocking to me 
um, when I first started in, 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 with the league um, that these kids knew the, you know, who he was. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the stars on our team, Max Seabold, same thing. So um, I think that that is a great asset for us. So that story, when speaking to a corporate, corporate audience, is very important. Um, the other element is locally, um, you know, we have a really good network of individuals who are um, the leaders of the corporate or organizations that we work with. Um, our, our owner, Rob Hale, is, uh, is a leader in the business community here um, and has a great reputation. Um, so that helps um, when we're talking about, you know, this is how we're trying to grow our, our business and grow with us. And, you know, we, you know, we don't have a home. We, we, you know, we play at Harvard and we've, you know, taken a couple games to the, to the community, but, you know, we don't have a stadium yet. So there's a, there's a story to be told there that, Hey, look, this is where we are today, but in 10 years time, you know, we, it's going to be very different. And we, you know, we liken ourselves to the MLS and they've had a lot of success over the last, you know, 10 plus years and kind of where they've, where they've gone. Um, it's a good model to follow. Um, and there's some key things. And I think at the league level, at the MLL level right now, we are, you know, there's a, all those conversations are being had as to, you know, wh what is the next proper next step to make sure that, you know, what's the fan experience and making sure that that is, you know, we're honing in on what that is. So there, there's a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the corporate sales side, it really is about the people, the impact that we're making at the youth level. And it, it isn't about eyeballs, um, you know, because we, we don't have that right now when you compare it to one of the big four sports. Um, so it, it's about the, the story of the game and what, it, what it's going to become and the network that's involved in it. I, I do find that interesting when you're talking about the, the kids and the instant recognition of players because uh, just last week with Lax All-Stars, we were covering uh, a big club tournament in the area with primetime lacrosse. And one of the things that we had going on there was uh, through Warrior New Balance, they sent Kevin Buchanan mm -hmm. to the Clint, uh, to the uh, to the tournament, and he was actually driving one of the golf carts <laughs> around, like picking people up that needed to get from field to field. It was a big event, um, and he was having fun with it, turning this whole like cash cab thing, and yeah. you know Kevin being Kevin. <laughs> but um, what was funny is the adults that we would pick up didn't know who he was right away we had to right. sort of like lead them on of like there was a family from connecticut and it's like well have you ever been to a black holes game They're like oh yeah we love the black holes games They're like well there's one of the players right there right but looking off the cart you could see all the kids even kevin in street clothes just wearing a new balance shirt sunglasses yep all the kids were doing double takes Absolutely. watching him drive around like right. you could tell the all the the younger kids i'd say like 12 to 16 or so they all knew him. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it wasn't the parents that knew him. It wasn't anything like that, even though they were going to the games too. Yeah. But the kids, it was, it was instant. Just seeing him passing by, they're like, wait, that's Kevin Buchanan. <laughs> right. And that's, that's huge. And, I, I, you know, people ask, you know, it, it's interesting because everybody wants the magic bullet. Like, how are you just going to instantly become successful you know, as a league and as a sport? And, um, I, I, you know, it's just it's going to take some time. You know, these fans, again, you – mentioned an age range you know those those they're they're kids right and if they love the sport in 10 years time when they're you know in their mid 20s and then another 10 years in their mid 30s you know then they're starting to become parents and adults that 
you know, if they love have that passion for the sport, then that's going to transcend, and that's where you know, the game and the and the fans fan base starts to you know grow exponentially. So we need to kind of let that happen. We need to really massage it along the way, um, and make sure that the product stays um, you know at, at the pinnacle that we want it to be at, and keep improving, keeping you know people coming to games and you know consuming content on their phones and you know in, in every which way. Um, that that's really important. You know, we, everybody's always grow the game, grow the game. I, I think it it's true. You know, on the professional side, yes, we want to grow the game, but it's going to take some time. And and you look at, you know, the the other big four sports. You know, today, all four of them are really at all time highs in in their in their businesses. Um, maybe baseball is a little bit you know tracking a little bit differently, but they didn't start out with stadiums that were 60, 70,000 person stadiums. They started in smaller venues and then they made bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. Um, but it took them time to get there. So that's, that's, I think that's an important process for, for all of us on the business side to, to remind ourselves that it's going to take some time and let's try to do it the right way. And, And those are the conversations we have. So uh, you mentioned the MLS earlier, and I always find that to be an interesting conversation to have because in one respect, the MLS is a fantastic model. You see some of the MLS-specific stadiums that have been built, Mm -hmm. and they're fantastic, especially for something like lacrosse. Like down in Philadelphia, it's on the river. It's sized right that Uh you just get a decent crowd in there. It doesn't have to be a sellout, but a decent crowd is going to feel awesome in there and everything is team specific. Like you, you can tell it's something different, yeah. but at the same time, it's soccer. I mean, we're, right. we're recording this in the middle of the world cup, you know, the U S <laughs> isn't in it, but everywhere else, you know, you just see videos constantly of a goal being scored and every bar in that country is filled with people watching. Amazing. You have a lot of foreign investment, um, as well as people that are interested in kind of, copying other models so i remember it was how many years ago uh rail salt lake was trying to emulate the youth academies and you know pull people up to get the 14 year olds 16 year olds 18 year olds to then get funneled up into the mls clubs right um you do now have kids leaving college early but it's not leaving early to play in the mls it's leaving early to hopefully play in the MLS so that they can get, then go over to the Premier League. <laughs> Correct. So, I mean, you, it, it's an interesting model, but at the same time, it doesn't exactly fit. Right. Um, and then another one that people like to bring up that came out of nowhere is UFC. But, you know, UFC is a single event driven thing with, yes. you know, it's it's a very different type of promotion. So I think what do you tend to look for when making comparisons to other sports, whether mm-hmm. it's a fledgling one that's trying to get big or like the big four? Well, I think, um, number one, our sport, I mean, the luck that we have the best players on the planet in lacrosse playing our league. So we are a tier one sport, you know, or a or, or, or tier one league where the best players are playing in this in, in this league. Um, that's that's extremely important. To your point on the MLS, the right. best players are not playing in in that league. They're playing in another league. You have to wait for them to be on like the tails end of their career to you know hop over get a couple million. <laughs> right, and I, and I'm not downplaying the MLS, but that 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 there is a competitive advantage that we have there. Um, the other sports that that I look at, which I think is um, and to go back to basketball, is 
the there's a trendiness in the game of basketball when you look at the individual athletes and you know the shoes they wear and what they do on social and how they're followed how their lifestyles how they you know portray themselves um there's a very individual personality component to that everyone knows what they wear into the arena absolutely so um i think our sport has a lot of that and um you know our 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 guys on social same thing they're like you know i string my head you know in this way or i'm a warp guy or you know all those little pieces um are extremely uh tangible um developmental tools for for fans to get excited about the game it isn't always about you know the the head-to-head matchup that you're seeing on the field that's all those other um tentacles that kind of pull people in which i think is 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 awesome you know in in hockey i guess you see some of that a little bit um but football you don't you don't really see that as much um except for the you know really expensive suits and stuff like that um but i i think that that's a really you know lifestyle um kind of you know element that is important to again the, the our fan base um so th- those are two so when you think about um you know players from the individual perspective of marketing um you know there's a lot of different ways they can go about it do you actually think it's more valuable for players to be able to jump in with the existing brands that are out there whether it's the ones that are already in lacrosse or could potentially be in lacrosse or to start their own because again in other sports you get the same thing yeah players will sign on they'll get the nike deal they might also launch their own apparel company. Right. Um, where do you think, um, you know, lacrosse being where it is right now, yeah. um, that the majority of that should be coming from? It's a great question. I, I think, um, I think. I mean, most most of the athletes, when they're looking for endorsements, are, are going to probably go along the lines of, hey, I'm going to play with the, the major players. Um, and that's good. I mean, we need our athletes to support and, and partner w- with those folks. I think fragmenting is, is, isn't the best thing, but what I will say too, I think that athletes as they're coming out of college these days. And, and, um, you know, I, I think that that generation of the, the, the younger a- athletes in our league right now compared to some more other veterans, I think they're wired a little bit differently too. I mean, as we all know, I mean, Facebook and all these, you know, all these businesses that have kind of popped up in the last 10 years uh, or 10 to 15 years have changed the way people just interact as a whole. So I think back to your question, I think that you're going to continue to see people have new ideas, want to create their own, you know, special cool things that again showcase what their passion is for and not always fall into the same category of i'm a you know company x endorsed athlete and this is what i do for them and it's the same as what every other person does um and i I spend a lot of time in golf um golf has a little bit of that hey there's a way that things are done here and the um you know they all have logos on the left chest and they're so di- the, the, the tiger woods three years of planned out outfits for every single day <laughs> yeah. of every tournament <laughs> correct yeah so and, and i think that 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 what the positive element of this whole thing is that um i think it, it's an exciting opportunity for 
just the game to continue to, to flourish and, and create its own pathways. Um, so, yeah, we need all the uh, you know, all the companies and and uh, you know, supporters of this game to, to continue to thrive. But I, I think that you're going to see some different opportunities that even players bring to the table. You know, one of the things that's important in our league compared to the others is that you know we have many of our athletes are are not full time lacrosse players. Um, so I do encourage more opportunity that is going to help that that individual athlete continue to to raise his profile um, through the game and if it if if it helps him and it helps you know kind of him focus on lacrosse then that, that that's that's huge for for us so now, one of the things I'm curious about is, like you just said, it's not full-time players from the standpoint of them always just playing. But there are a lot of players who are full-time in the sport, Yes. but that does mean they have a pretty full schedule, which does make me think of um, you know, the Canons as a whole trying to operate as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you still have to worry about the bottom line and all that sort of stuff, which is why I do find it interesting Very that... Very much so. Um, it, as much stress as that brings on to the organization, one of the things you did do recently was you launched the Boston Cans Foundation, mm-hmm. which is not something, I, I mean, yeah. I, I would say charity, corporate responsibility is always good in the corporate world. Yes. When you're profitable and making <laughs> a ton of money, everyone loves doing it. Yes. But then once there's any belt tightening on, it's like, all right, we'll worry about that in the future. But even as a growing organization, yeah. you already have that as a priority. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So we, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We, when we set out to um, create the foundation, it was officially um, you know, put into into action in the spring of 2016. So you know, it's two years old uh, right now. Um, you know, we we looked at it and thought, you know what, we this is really good for us to have, but we do need to be more focused on 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 the, the Canon's business. But what I one of the elements that I that we kept on hearing from our corporate partners is that, you know, do, what do you do from a philanthropic standpoint? And I think that that story um, and, and kind of partnership that we create with many of the businesses that we work with, um, having a philanthropic initiative and in one of our programs is called Cannons Fighting Cancer. Um, it's a season-long program where um, at the last game of the year we'll, we'll uh, recognize a number of entities that are kind of in the fight against cancer. Um, last year we raised over a hundred thousand dollars for for children's hospital or boston children's hospital and um through through this program um and we're going to continue to to focus on that again um but we basically at the foundation have three primary events that we do each year so there's cans fighting cancer program which is not a lot of heavy lifting uh, but it's a, it's a tremendous story for for us to to get our partners and our fans to engage around, and it gives back to a great organization locally. Um, the key component of this is that is it isn't just about Children's Hospital. Is that we we honor um, what we call our our Cannons Champions for Cancer. Um, you know, organizations whether they're associated with Children's or not, or they're just you know it's a you know there's this uh, young lady um her name's ella and she has a lemonade stand and a number of her friends have have gone through the a fight with cancer and she raises money so every year we have her there and she she you know we honor her mm-hmm. and uh organizations like hers all the time so um the important factor for us is 
Um, one, let's try to do the right thing uh, in our community. Um, and as I said, as a, as a business, it's not a lot of heavy lifting, um, you know, and what I think is cool about the, the foundation as well is that we don't have any foundation employees in, in, in our in our business. Everybody on my staff really just chips in. Um, and that's a fun thing to, for all of us to get behind and um, really you know kind of celebrate in, in the game that we choose every year to kind of celebrate it. Um, so that, that's, that's really why we, we created it. We have a golf tournament as well that we do in the fall, kind of an off season thing. Again, more, another opportunity. How do we get our Cannons family of, you know, supporters, partner organizations, fans out to, to do something that's fun. And that, uh, that's, that's always a great event. And then, um, you know, the foundation also supports other organizations like, Metro Lacrosse and Harlem Lacrosse, and you know we had those entities that we were supporting through the business. And we're like, let's let's push that off to the side a little bit, and um, and, and give it its own little happy place um, to to kind of push things out through. So, and, and the other component which I think helps us um, through the foundation is we comparable to many other. Um, foundations with the professional teams in our in our in our market um we we do a lot um uh, which which is fun to be able to compete head to head with those the big boys um in in the philanthropic space um so it, it it's it's a good thing for us it's the right thing to do um our athletes get behind all of our all the efforts here and i think that that's it means a lot to them too yeah, and that's one of the things I did find interesting about it after it was announced is you did have a lot of involvement right away. Um, you had you know, players going to the hospital as well as all the other events you're mentioning. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I have liked about it, just you know, being in the community, is that it gives fans as well as players, as well as, like you said, some of the partners, yep. um, the opportunity to interact with the team outside of just the formal, you know, we're a for-profit team trying yeah. to pull you in here by season tickets. Right. <laughs> it's much more of a community aspect of the team, which is also one of the things in lacrosse that I do love yeah. is how much it does just act like a community more than you know most other sports i've seen like it it, it's a very tight-knit group completely agree yeah no we we've i mean we've had so much success with this and people people are are always like wow oh you guys have a foundation and wow look what you just gave you guys worked hard to get a hundred thousand dollars to children's hospital like yeah yeah we we can do this this is this can be done um even though we're a smaller entity um, it, it, it's been great and we're going to continue to, to, you know, to kind of you know, really push that envelope, um, for, for the partners that we have. And, but at the same time, we're going to be very focused on, on our business. And, um, the cool thing is most of our partners, um, on the corporate side, they always want to be a part of this, this platform. So it's a, it's a, it's the right thing to do. Definitely. All right. Um, yeah, you know, t- time's already going away pretty fast, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I want to pull you back to mm-hmm. is the actual operations of a team. So sure. you're the president of the Cannons. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So we are, you know, we're a 365 day a year business. Um, our season, you know, as of today is mid-April to mid-August. Um, I'm I oversee all operations, but you know, revenue, expenses. 
our um, you know the, the team operation um, I'm not making the lacrosse decisions um, but it, it's really all about you know how do we grow our business and um, you know ticket sales and sponsorship and you know merchandise sales and all the special events that we do throughout the year um, those take time you know to, to kind of plan events and and work through the process of building bringing in corporate partners um that so it's a 365 day a year job i have a a staff our staff is 11 people um that are full-time um and you know we have intern an internship program um that exists really um from january through the summer um sometimes we have some um some support in the fall um and I think that right now, the you know the the league and Commissioner Brown and you know we're talking about you know hopefully you know how do we continue to to keep our sport relevant you know year round you know so that there, that's an important element when you look at the other big four sports you know some of them have some lulls um, but most of them these days are you know, 365 days a year, they're being talked about on the radio, um, or you're hearing their news. That's why, you know, sports television and sports radio exists because these businesses are 365 days a year. Um, how how much airtime went to Brady not going to OTAs? (laughs) Yes, correct. Like it, and you know, they are so, uh, the Patriots are so lucky, uh, cause they've got it made. I mean, you, you know, you wake up every morning that there's something that they're always talking about the Patriots. I mean, one day we'll get there. Right. <laughs> well, and then you also have the flip side of, uh, the Bruins burying news during the Patriots parade a year and a half ago. Cause they know people are going to talk about it so much. They're like trying to hide it too. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> there's, there's good, there's good positives and negatives, uh, to that, uh, you know, to, to being, you know, on the, under the spotlight, but, yeah, so we are constantly working and, and, and planning, and I think um, y- you know we're going to continue to to focus on the primary areas where you know we need to grow the business. Um, but you know, even uh, on the uh, on the on the team side or like the athlete side of the, the the business, you know that that process starts in the fall. Um, you know, you've got you know supplemental drafts and and you know. You're, you're watching college athletes, you know, and kind of where they're at and p- planning for, you know, the collegiate draft. And, you know, for a lot of us too, you, you're, you, we don't own our own venues. So, you know, sometimes people have challenges in securing dates for where they're going to play and the schedule. So it, it's a, it's a year round uh, scenario. And, and my position specifically has oversight on all those things. And, but we, we're set up like, most professional teams in the sense that we have you know a corporate sales department and we have our ticketing department and we have a pr department and an operations department so you know we we've got those functions kind of set um and you know as we continue to grow we'll continue to expand them and as we see new opportunities and and challenges then we'll maneuver accordingly but it's that is my overall responsibility and make sure that all those verticals are are growing and uh and being you know efficient and managed the, the right way 
Um, how much do you actually get involved with personnel decisions? Because um, I know we, we could probably talk like individual ones and it'd yeah. be a different story. But sure. um, what about overall? So, for example, this past off season, mm-hmm. um, like you were just saying, you started in the fall looking at things. Um, yep. But you had... Um, you know, big announcements were like, you know, Mitch Belisle, Max Seaball, Tyler Fiorito all coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, those were some of the big headlines. You also brought in Kyle Denhoff, who, you know, became an instant marketing yep. <laughs> marketing person right there. And a Boston-based um, guy. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, James Pinnell, um, and you brought in Walsh for a bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of additional people Coach coming stars, yeah. in. Oh yeah, small, <laughs> not just players, but yes, yes. coach stars that coming in was also uh, a big deal. So, what is that like from the front office standpoint of framing marketing around the player decisions as well as coaching decisions that yeah. happen um, when you do have something with this much turnover? Yeah. So f- first, um, what I'll say is that any player or coaching personnel decisions we kind of manage by committee, um, and Coach Quirk is is really you know the lead in you know understanding all those conversations um and opportunities inside the walls of the league um he and i talk every day um and we really just talk through again the opportunity and my my job is really to help poke holes and and understand okay is this a this is a long-term commitment is this a short-term commitment what does this do for us on the field off the field um and i think that that's we we've we've done a lot of work in the last nine months yeah really nine months um since we brought on coach stars yeah um and maybe that's you know the process with him was was not a quick process either so our, our goal um coming into this year was how do we get smarter about the decisions that we're making how do we build around a a um a a philosophy of of having good people um committed athletes and in a in a good locker room um culture right because i also think it's important to mention that in the midst of doing all this turnover you were also replacing your gm on top of it you know yes losing kevin barney after Mm -hmm. so many years yep and that was that wasn't an easy process either and i I, you know kevin wore many hats inside our organization so we you know we added another vp of operations as well and um you know our look this year is different on the field and where we're playing so we went through a lot of changes but back to the back to the player personnel component um you know coach quirk is really the glue that keeps a lot of these you know all the conversations going keeps our you know our our team together and you know guys like uh max who you mentioned and, and and tyler and mitch you know those guys are you know they're contemplating whether they're going to play this season or not and um you know coach spent a lot of time on that you know forget for and i think this is the same throughout the league i will pat him on the back but the uh the commitment level that we get out of what i would call part-time coaches it's a full-time job And, and they are they are all in, and and I'll say that you know from Coach Starzia's standpoint, from from Coach Quirk's standpoint, they there isn't a day that they're not thinking about the MLL, and and I think that people don't realize how committed they are, but at the same time, how much work it is to you know manage 
a, a, a group of athletes and you know we're it's an interesting situation by the the phases that we kind of go through in 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 the on the roster where you have you know you have people who are great players but they're also great college coaches so they're you know they're involved in the in the college season and you know that that's their maybe a big a larger commitment for them so you, they're not free to play <laughs> on our roster until their college season is over so um there's a lot of jockeying um for you know what what's our lineup going to look like in week one and then how does it look in week three and who's available who's not available um and and that takes a lot of a time and coordination so i i don't get overly involved in in those pieces um but uh but we do talk about it every day um that's for sure so i'm curious i'll just focus on um one player before i wrap up with some yep. of our final questions but um one of the situations that was interesting is that you had the first overall pick this year. Mm-hmm. You go with Trevor Baptiste, mm-hmm. but you did have Joe Nardella, who also hits a lot of the check boxes that you were just mentioning. College yeah. coach at Harvard. So, and I mean, Correct. it's a local guy, a veteran that had also um, been, you know, really one of the top faceoff guys in the it's league proven. for a, a couple years now. He's been hovering in that top three to five range mm-hmm. almost every single season he's been in the league um so you know the the hope is obviously with baptiste you get the best face-off guy right um but how does that factor into the decision um to replace a position you're already very strong with someone that is also incredibly as marketable as trevor is right so um it was t- it was a really tough decision um and I, I'll be honest, we 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 weren't a hundred percent on exactly what we were going to do. Um, and you know, when you have the first overall pick in in the draft, you got a lot of opportunity coming your way as far as you know other teams and trades and situations. Right up to you know, fifteen minutes before the draft, we were still in conversations about moving players and doing deals for that number one pick. Um, and so our, we knew it would be an interesting dynamic, but our philosophy was if we are going to pick number one, we were going to take what we believe was the best player in the entire draft, like the most impactful player available. And, and then once you have him, you determine what you do with him next. So you know, do you keep him? Is there an opportunity that, that comes to you and says, well, that's a, that's a, you know, we just got two all-stars for, for, you know, for Trevor Baptiste. That wasn't an offer that came our way, but I just, uh, it's, it's an example of the, the type of mindset where you need to be at, but it put us in a position of power. Um, and with Joe, you know, we had, and, coach quirk you know managed this whole process and you know, along with coach starzia you know we had you know, joe was was fantastic and we basically went to him and said look th- this is our situation we've got two face-off guys you know we'd love to keep you both but joe where where do, what what's what important to you and i think he was uh he was very straightforward and said, i want to play i want to be a starting guy and we said well um we're getting a lot of interest, so um, we we may make a decision to move you. 
and he understood that it's a business and and our whole goal when the situation is again that he had had a value that's very high and uh i i feel pretty good about the deal that we did for him oh yeah definitely um <laughs> so um yeah so we're we're, we're you know it, it, it was uh, it's all about how do you make your team better sometimes you need to make some difficult decisions um and i th- i believe that you know given the position we're in now because he was an asset we are now in a position to continue to improve our team into next year yep um so yeah we've got a, p- a pick <laughs> all right right all right so all right as we wrap up yeah. um there's five questions i ask every one of our guests i didn't awesome. give you any uh, teasers on these ones so nice. the first one we'll go with is what is something you think is talked about too much in the lacrosse community that gets too much attention the competition between the two leagues it, it they're they're two different entities the, the game is different you've got different athletes in there um I th- do you I th- view it as competition i think it, it's competition from a timing standpoint because we have an overlap um i think it's great for the game that it is lacrosse and you know the nll is putting people into to venues but it's a very different um, it's a d- very different business, right? They, they have their, their challenges are, are different than, than our challenges, um, in, in some ways, but I, I think it's, I think it's great. I think what's, um, unique about their, their business is that most of those venues, people are familiar with those venues and those teams that, that play in, you know, say Buffalo, for example, you know, that organization is owned by you know, a group that has other professional teams, right? Right. You know, two of the biggest in the market in, in their market. So that's a huge benefit for them to, 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 to filter or funnel people into the bandits business. I think it's great. It's awesome. It's, you know, it's something to, to be envious of. Um, so in the end, people are seeing lacrosse and, um, I think in, in, for us, um, we just, you know, we just need to continue the momentum that we have in our sport and um and they are a little bit different and it's good yeah it's a good thing they're the pro- the product both products i think are are are, are strong right yeah and i mean as someone that watches and loves both leagues it I, w- I would say that the timing, like you say, is probably the biggest thing grading on me. Yeah. <laughs> me personally, because, I mean, you're trying, <laughs> you want to watch both. Right. Um, and obviously that affects some of the players, but um, they are two different sports. They are. They, they are. And, and there's, it, there is some crossover on the athlete side, but I, I, I think that they are different sports um, or Different sports is the best way to put it. I'll leave it at that. All right. So what's something that's not talked about enough? Just how good our guys are. The, the players in this league, I think that it, I liken it to to golf or um, even you think about uh, like basketball a little bit. Too. Like our athletes are the premier athletes, and they do things – so much better than that next year. Are you thinking like the golf? These guys, are, these guys are good at campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and they've seen, to, they've gotten off that, uh, which is good. But no, when you look at the U.S. Open that just happened, those guys were brought to their knees 
buy a golf course, right? Right. And they are the best at, at in the game on the planet. There, there's no doubt that the, they're, those guys are the best players on the planet. And when you see what they can do, um, and then you put in, a, you know, an, a non-professional golfer out there, it, it's just a it, it's a it's a very big difference. So I think our athletes, and I think you, you know, if you were to talk to many of the rookies that play in our league, you, you ask them like, what's the biggest difference? You're like, most of the time they say, wow, these guys are just everybody is very very good, like they're. And you, you know that you're in an, an in a, another class, right? So I, I think that that is the 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 one thing that we 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 don't talk about enough, and I I don't know that lacrosse fans or families understand what that difference is. But in 20 years' time, uh, going back to what we talked about earlier, people are really going to start to understand the nuances of the game um, and how good those guys really really are. So Definitely. I think that's that's a good one thing all right so a fun one what is something funny from this week that just kind of makes you laugh thinking about it can be a stupid video you've seen just a funny story at home uh, I, I have some stuff <laughs> I, I have two little kids so that it, it's it's constant but uh, my four-year-old just he continues to, to crack us up with like the the funniest of little uh, comments um and he just keep, makes a smile all day long. So I, I can't even say what he said this week uh, in this interview, but uh, he's just the, the funniest little character. It's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that's a good answer. All right. Um, this one is actually interesting because you're not originally from the lacrosse world, yeah. but um, when was the last time you watched a lacrosse game for fun? Good question. Um it's probably the, the NCAA's finals. The NCAA's? Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. were good ones, too. Yeah. I mean, what a game. The the, the, the final game, I mean, it was it was awesome to watch. Those guys, you know, Reeves put on a show. Definitely. Yeah. That's nice. All right. So, last one. And this one I know you're going to like. And it's okay. a question that I actually, when I first came up with this, it was for people in positions like yours. Okay. Which is... If you, let's say you win some sort of lottery, something like that, mm-hmm. and you are given $50 million mm-hmm. to spend on lacrosse. Yep. You know, full stop right there. It can be any level, any league, anywhere. Yep. Um, but it's got to help the game in some way. How would you spend it? I would build a stadium, number one. All right, and, and given given your position, let's start uh, let's start doing some math here. So, what's yeah. the stadium total? Uh, it's probably about half. Okay, so twenty five. And, and I'm being yep. uh, I'm being uh, probably conservative on the on that on that number and saying that maybe it's only cost ten. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on I, I think the depends on where it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely not downtown Boston, but no. uh, maybe a little bit outside. So sure. let, let's let's do twenty five. If you get outside, well, that's more per Yeah, okay, away. sure. All right, so twenty five is left. Yep. Um, I would invest it in the league to pay the, the players more. Yep. Um, whether it was a, a league investment or you know, f- just find a way. How do, how do we how do how do we get more money to to our players? All right. So we'll say it's like ten to fifteen ish. Call it ten. Yeah. All right. Well, so 10. that's ten. So that leaves you fifteen left. Um, I would go to television, and I would buy time. 
yep. for our game to be prime time on you know a, a an important channel. I was gonna say local, national, or both. National. National. Uh, na- national first, and then um, I'd make sure that everybody has a local deal. Yep. As well, a- right. and not to go in too much depth, but my philosophy on that is that it should be similar to again the NBA in the NHL, how you, you have a, a national game of the week, but you're also RSN feeding locally. And my other, my opinion on this as well is that we are not above, you know, we're not too far ahead in the, in the age of, of, you know, technology to think that we shouldn't be on television. Right. We should be on a handheld or OTT only. Like, that is just, you know, we need the more eyeballs, the most eyeballs we can possibly get. And the more non-lacrosse eyeballs we get, the more momentum we'll continue to create for each other. Right, because I think that's one of the things that's brought up a lot with LSN being the the main broadcasting area is that you know yeah. OTT is good, but you have to recognize you're in a niche, and OTT creates a niche of a niche. It do, it does. It really does. I think, um, and, and you know, LSN is it's young. It's it's only two years old. Um, you know, this is the, actually it's less than. Less than three years old, uh, but it, it was started, and you know it takes time to work through kind of your distribution. The content on LSN is 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 very strong. I mean, right. if you're a lacrosse person, you, you, you your eyes are on it all the time. Yeah, you can tell it has the investment. Yeah, yeah. So they're putting them, but again, you know, you need you know scale, and what that does for us at the same at the same time. So you take that, well, let's call that five million bucks. Right. Take that five million. That five million is then going to help us recoup more money back from sponsors and uh, right because that you gives know, you some, a dollars. lot of built-in ad space that you Absolutely. don't normally have. Correct. So and it's a national conversation to go out to you know the the, the big national partners or uh, prospects about. Right now we don't have that. Right. So it's really really important. All right. So I think that leaves you ten million or five. I think that's five. All right. Um, or ten. The next. No, because we were going to pay the players too, right? Um, we'll so pay the players more if the math is off. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, the the, ne- the next uh, one, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think it just more marketing. You know, it's good to have the games live, but again, more events throughout the year to right. g- to give us. You know, whether you call it a a, a large MLO showcase event or you know combine or I, I don't know what the right but you know, how do you invest in those other tent poles that give us a lot of momentum um leading up to the season and people should know when the season starts right, right? like not caught in kind of this chasm of oh i know there's lacrosse going on you know we always get the question when's your season start would you say think like maybe formalizing training camps because that's one of the things you think NFL some of the teams go in the community not not too yeah. different than what you you guys did right, honestly yeah. this year you had your training camp down at Hingham yeah um, you know a lot of NFL teams go to local high schools colleges you know they get off their normal site and you know yeah. they're out there it's heavily advertised <laughs> yeah yeah I think we just need to do a better job of putting a stake in the ground on when that starts um, in the league even today uh, or today. You know, everybody has some free kind of flexibility to do it when it's when it works best for them. And 
I don't know, is the answer that we, we need that flexibility or do we right. should we all be doing it on you know, training camp opens this Thursday and it goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and it's you know, is it one week? We do two weekends of training camp every year. Um so and, and it all goes back into that backtracking of phases of the number of players that you can get in week one yep. to be on your roster. Our roster today is probably fifty percent 50% of the guys that are on our roster now were on the roster in week one. Oh, yeah. It's a complete change. Yeah. So um, and we need to work hard to, to you know, get away from that because even from a fan's perspective. And, and, again, I'm not trying to make the guys that, you know, that are, that are our, our teammates that are in that first fit tier, I don't want them to feel like, oh, we're, we're sliding them. But I think, you know, for the, the bigger picture of the game, you know, if you're a fan, you want to see what your lineup is in week one, home right. game one. Right. You know, home game one, you want your your team for the season to be to be pretty darn close, not fifty percent. Right. <laughs> so, but that's a that's a long term that's a long term goal. It, um, is that also a tough part with doing the draft when you do? Um, with having it, I mean, even when you have the draft in January and you know yeah. the players that you're going to get, they're still not available until best case last week of april right um you know worst yeah. case now in june <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah um yeah i i don't know that there's because there's a there's another challenge too with with january where you you know you're not even seeing these guys play right. in their senior year and, and the true alternative is they get a year off i mean right. you're not going to start the season in july no no you're right so it, it's uh it's tricky it's re- it's really tricky um i you know full year off is a long time too and in our current state i think it's better that you just get them in right because you know if they're waiting year so many other things can happen job wise or or relocation wise you know they they they, things could fall into place for them in so many other areas just because our athletes are not full-time athletes Right. Or they're, sorry, they're not full time MLL players. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're right. They are full time athletes. I would, would never take that away from I, them. I was gonna say. I think you just made one of them. You know, stare at their phone really quick. Like, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> no, they are absolutely full time. And and I think that that's amazing. I'll add. You know, Coach Starzia um, mentioned this to me, and he's like, he, you know, he's, and I'm sure you would back it up. He'd say, look, it's amazing how committed our players are to the process you know they they they're up you know early in the morning and and getting getting their work in they're getting their shots in i mean they they work in you know big groups small groups you know to to train together and you know they 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 love the game and, and which is awesome you know and i think that that's really important about you know kind of who our league is that these guys are absolutely committed they love it yeah, and I mean, there's a lot that even play in weeknight men's leagues, um, and I, I mean, I talked to a lot of them. For some of them, it's you know they they want to face some sort of competition rather than just a, a net yep. in the field. Oh yeah. Um, but a lot of them is they just they love playing. Right. They, they don't even care who it's with. They just want to keep playing. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's 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 just another challenge of ours too, where you know we practice once a week. Yeah, uh, on a on a Friday night. Yep. Yeah, you know, once everybody gets into town, and uh, and then you do a walkthrough on on Saturday before a game. So, um, they they want to get their their reps. 
and they want to go head to head with somebody and not <laughs> not just <laughs> you know uh, with a buddy and firing firing balls on net. Yep. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have right now. So awesome. I definitely appreciate your time. I feel like we could probably could have kept talking yeah. for another hour or so. But <laughs> um, uh, you know, good luck with the rest of the season. Thank and, you. Um, hope everything shapes up well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So. That concludes our interview with Ian, but a, a few things that I feel were important to provide some commentary on. One is when Ian was talking about the level of competition and the level of talent in the league, and he talked about it being a tier one sport. Now, one of the things when the PLL came out is the first thing everybody noticed was the names that are going over to that league, including several of the, the big names that are we're on the cans from this past year, but just about every, I shouldn't say just about every MLL team did lose significant players from the roster. And, and when you talk about the tier one idea, I think it's very important to keep in mind that the MLL is not going to just sit back and let things happen. And the PLL take over all the talent and just kind of do what they want. The MLL is still going to be fighting aggressive to keep that tier one status. They're going to keep trying to produce the best on-field product you possibly can and really put these two leagues in a position where they are competing with different models. Each one of them will have some of the best players in the world on the field for every game that you go see. Some other things that Ian does bring up where I think you start looking at the contrast between the two leagues and their approaches is the community aspect of the Cannons. And, you know, the city-based team, the stadium-based team, there's a lot you can do with that model, which is why historically team sports have gone for that city approach versus the, the touring approach that the PLO is doing. Now, a few of the things that Ian does bring up, especially towards the end when we do the five questions, are, you know, the TV deal. Um, that was a big thing that when you look at the PLL, um, their their deal with NBC Sports, while it's not a um, a weekly, you know, regular over-the-air NBC game, um, they are going to have a couple of those. So that does um, touch on the exposure that he was talking about. So you're going to get that TV deal. Both leagues are going to be paying players more. The MLL up there pay quite a bit. So that's something that was already announced. Um, the PLL is harping a lot on full-time salaries for their players. That's not anything that's publicly announced yet for what those values actually are. But, you know, when we talk about the things that he would do if he had all that money was, um, you know, pay players more. And I think that's a becoming a bigger priority, especially as the market of professional lacrosse shifts um you know that's becoming a bigger thing and as i'm recording this we have the nll cba going on um in their contract negotiation so pay for players is becoming a much bigger deal and since i brought up the nll um it's worth noting that both the pll and mll have shifted their starts to june to reduce the overlap between the two leagues so when Ian and I were talking about the overlap and you know the importance that has on how they run an organization, that's one of those things that has been more or less, uh, do some air quotes there, on solved. There's still some overlap with it, but it's dramatically reduced for 
most of the players that are going to be involved in that situation. But with the rest of the things that Ian was talking about, I think um, you would agree that it is important to keep working on everything that he describes as important to the team and important to the league, no matter what your competition is. Um, As they try to grow their fan base, as they try to work in sponsors, as they try to grow the league, grow the game, um, those priorities are not going to change too much, but how they frame those conversations, how they work with sponsors, how they work with fans is something that is going to be changing as the competition in the market landscape changes. With that, I want to thank you for listening in this week and stay tuned for some more great interviews we have coming up. And once again, if you are mostly listening to this show, make sure you hop over to the Lex All Stars podcast list via your podcast distributor of choice, whether it be Stitcher, iTunes, etc., and check out the Outside the Eight podcast with Cassie Brunel. Um, she's putting a lot of excellent work into helping you understand what's going on behind women's lacrosse. So her focus has been on the women's game. She's had some amazing interviews so far, and I really think it's worth a listen. If you haven't given it a shot yet, definitely hop over there, check out some of the interviews she already has recorded, as well as stay tuned for some of the upcoming ones. Thank you again, and I will catch you next time.